The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You're listening to the Totally Useless Information Podcast on the Nick and Roy channel. Subscribe and share. If you listen to this episode, you're going to find out what arthrexia nervosa is. I can't wait. A camel's backbone and a horse's backbone have something in common. What is it? I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. And we scour the internet to find information. You really don't need, or do you? So join us today as we explore animals, some more inventions. We'll open up the mailbag, a little bit of history, and a little bit of food on this episode. Totally useless information. It's everything you never needed to know. By listening once a week. You get smarter than you think. The Totally Useless Information Podcast, hosted by Nick and Roy. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the Totally Useless Information Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Roy, hope everyone is doing well. Roy, you doing okay? You know, I'll tell you, ever since the invention of the podcast I have. Speaking of inventions... Innovation. Ideas. The Totally Useless Information Podcast presents Inventions. I think we invented the podcast, didn't we? We did, 40 years ago, but nobody listened. If Al Gore invented the internet, we invented the podcast. That's right. Here's an invention I want to talk about. Have you you seen any movie on the IMAX screen? Yes, I did. It's awesome. This is an amazing experience. You have to go see an IMAX film at least once in your life. Unless, of course, you have Vertigo, or maybe if you watch the movie Vertigo on IMAX. It's up to you. Yeah, that's scary. IMAX was invented by a trio of Canadian filmmakers, Graham Ferguson, Roman Kreuter, and Robert Kerr, in 1967. They were asked to produce a large-screen film for Canada's 100th anniversary in 1967 for what we called Expo 67. Japan then said to them, hey, we want you to, to produce a movie for us. So the three filmmakers recruited an engineer, William Shaw, to help him invent the cameras needed to film in Image Maximum, IMAX for short. So in 1970, the first ever IMAX movie was Tiger Child and was invented by three Canadians. Okay, everybody knows the auto, French automaker, and you know I love the French, Peugeot. Yes. Well, yes. Peugeot yes. is yes. not really known originally for their cars in fact peugeot in 1842 invented something we've all used and it was what pretty much made their company famous and it was called the handheld pepper grinder the grinder that we know the shape and everything of it is what they invented the peugeot company And it's the same grinder that we use today that they invented in 1842, made the company pretty much famous. And it is called the Peugeot Pepper Grinder. Thought that was cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Vroom, vroom. Um, I don't know if you you remember having this as a kid, but Pablum. Yes. 
that baby cereal, it was invented in 1930 by three pediatricians in Toronto's Hospital for Sick Children. Doctors Frederick Tisdale, Theodore Drake, and Alan Brown, along with a nutrition lab technician and a chemist, made a cereal to help curb infant malnutrition and rickets. The original pablum mixed cereal contained, among other ingredients, pre-cooked wheat, bone meal, and reduced iron, and was fortified with several vitamins and minerals. So thanks to a couple of uh, Canadian doctors and a lab technician, pablum was made worldwide. Yeah. Are all of yours Canadian? Yes, they are. Do you see how they operate, the Canadians? I talk uh, about the French. I don't even like them, and I talk about them. But um, I, I digress. Yes. We've all used something. I know that you've used it to cook a turkey in, Nick, the outdoor gas grill. Absolutely. Well, who invented the outdoor gas grill and when? Well, I'm going to tell you, folks. I'm glad you asked. In, ni- <laughs> in 1950, a guy named Don McLaughlin invented the outdoor gas grill, and he had started a company called the Chicago Combustion Corporation, which we now have today is now called the Lazy Man's Grill Company. But thanks to Don McLaughlin, we have hamburgers and hot dogs and sausage and tailgating and all kinds of other stuff. Thank you, Don, for the barbecue. And thanks for changing the name from the Chicago Combustion. I don't think I'd want to hear the word combustion with a barbecue. You know, you eat the beans and franks and boom, you get the combustion. It's like the beeper. Beep, beep, beep. Remember those? Sure. A Canadian invention. The pager was invented by Alfred J. Gross, a Toronto-based wireless communications pioneer in 1949. Gross is also credited as the inventor of the walkie-talkie, the distinction he sometimes shares with his fellow Canadian, Donald Hings, who also is credited for creating the two-way radio. So your beeper, your walkie-talkie, and your two-way radio were invented by Canadians in 1939 and 1949. In 1897, something happened in Leroy, New York, by a guy named Pearl Bixby Waite. And it was a guy named Pearl Bixby Waite. He was a carpenter, and he also made cough drops. He was a cough drop maker. And he and his wife added flavors to this mix that she made. And they called it J-E-L-L-O. Jell-O. Well, in 1897, they invented Jell-O. The Jell-O that we know. And they um, added fruit flavors to it and all different flavors to it. And it became an amazing thing. And he wrote on it, it's delicate, delicious, and all in D's and alliteration. Because the guy was like a salesman, but... He, he invented, eventually made loads of money on the J-E-L-L-L. Yes, hospitals invested in tons of it. Mm-hmm. Now, you live down in Florida. Now, you eat a lot of ice cream, I imagine, right? It gets hot down there. You eat a lot of ice cream? Yes, a lot of frozen yogurt. Yeah. Now, don't you hate it when you were trying to eat an ice cream cone or, or frozen ice cream, frozen yogurt ice cream cone, and it starts to melt because you can't get around to the other side? Yes, I've solved that problem. I put it in a cup. No, 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 no. You can still enjoy the ice cream cone thanks to the invention of the motorized ice cream cone. Uh, You got it. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
But the way this is written, it sounds like one of those infomercials. Introducing the motorized ice cream cone designed to delight any child or inner child within your tongue. We like the concept here to fire this baby up. Just push the handy on-off switch on the side of the cone. Your ice cream will spin around and round as your tongue makes wonderful designs while slurping your summertime. Yeah, how disgusting while is slurping, it's like Stick it in your mouth and watch it spin around and you can slurp it all up. Typically, the motorized ice cream cone spins, but it can also rotate. Vibrate oh, yes. and agitate. Oh, yes, of course. In and out and around and around and blah. As it says, we hope, just hope as it, speed, it has a speed control or you'll be slinging your ice cream everywhere. By day, it's a motorized ice cream cone. By night in the bedroom, it also rotates and vibrates. Oh, yeah, with a quarter. You stick a quarter in it. Listen, <laughs> the, the zip lock bag, something we all use, was invented by Bjorg... Madison in the early 1950s, Bjorg invented this plastic bag. And Bjorg looked at it and said, What is my going to do with this bag? So he didn't do anything with it. And eventually he said, Oh, look, this bag is still in the drawer. What do I do with this bag? So he sold the bag and the bag's idea to these two brothers, May and Edgar Austin, who created the plastic zipper company named Flex Grip and made a damn fortune with it. <laughs> what do you call it, the Flex Grip? Yeah, no, the, fle- yeah, the Flex Grip Plastic Zipper Company. There yeah. you go. There's a mouthful. Innovation. Ideas. Inventions. Uh, hey, if you have an idea for an invention or you'd like to know where it came from, send us an email, Podcast. At Outlook.com. That's T-U-I podcast at Outlook.com. You know, you were talking about Ziploc bags. It made me hungry for some strange reason. Hey, everybody. Come and get it. Your weekly sweet and savory facts with your five-star Michelin chefs of totally useless information, Nick and Roy. Come and get it. We all love a good ham sandwich, right? Ham and yeah. cheese sandwich. You like ham, don't you? Like ham and eggs, Nick? Yeah, people call me a ham all the time. Absolutely. Okay. Let's all think about this before we eat our next ham sandwich. Where does the ham come from? I think the animal is the pig, is it not? It is the pig. It is the pig. Now let's narrow it down to where on the pig. Well, I'll tell you. Why don't you tell me? Why don't you tell all of us? From the pig's hindquarters. In other words, his ass. Okay, so next time eating a ham sandwich, you say to yourself, I'm eating a pig's ass. <laughs> <laughs> a pig's ass and cheese. Yes, yes, you got to have a little cheese and some mustard and make it very lean. It's got to be lean. Pineapple. If you find yourself at an old inn or perhaps a new trendy hotel, there will likely be a picture of a pineapple somewhere near you. Mm. It is the universal symbol of hospitality. Really? The very, the very concept of pineapples equating to hospitality comes from the Caribbean. According to the World Encyclopedia of Food, imperial travelers would go to these remote islands and discover that natives who hung the fruit in front of their entrances were welcoming to strangers. Pineapples remain a mainstay in the hospitality industry. Really? Well, guess what? Me and Nick what? do not discuss. We, we discuss the topics like inventions and food and so on, but we never discuss 
the actual content of what we're going to talk about. Nick okay. brought up pineapples, right? Well, get ready for this one. If you want your pineapple to ripen twice as fast, this was actually one of mine, okay? Right. You know what you do? When you get your pineapple home, you turn it upside down on the leaves, and you push down a little bit so that it stays nice and strong and everything and stays up upright. But upside down on its leaves, the pineapple will ripen twice as fast as if you put it the other way with the leaves up. That was so useful. We got to play this. On the Totally Useless Information Podcast. See, just because we're totally useless, sometimes mm. we're useful. Lettuce is a member of the sunflower family. Sunflower? Sunflowers. Now, the ancient Greeks believed that lettuce induced sleep, so they served it at the end of the meal. Hmm. The Romans continued that custom. However, the dictator Emperor Dominician from 81 to 96 AD served it at the beginning of his feast because he would torture his guests by forcing them to stay awake in the presence of the emperor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, very uh, nice. That's a nice party. Yeah. <laughs> let us sit down and yeah. try to stay awake. It was like, let us entertain you. You said sunflowers. And this yeah. is not one of my things, but I saw on Facebook today, I think Annie posted it. Uh, it said sunflowers position themselves to the sun to soak up the sun's energy and, and its rays. But right. when the sun goes down at night, they fold back up and they position themselves towards another sunflower to gain each other's energy. Wow, that's pretty cool. That? I don't know if it's true. I read it on Facebook, so it's got to be true. <laughs> yes. And a big shout out to Annie. Thank you for all of your support. We appreciate yeah. all, of, all of your kind words. Here's yeah. a sunflower for you. Yes, and it, it also it also doesn't help that, that Anne is my mom. <laughs> So she gets sunflowers all the time, no matter what. And we're going to find out if it's true what she said, because if it's not, she made me look like an ass. But anyway, <laughs> I'm going to do my teaser. Okay. Orthorexia nervosa is an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. It's the eating disorder when people are obsessed with eating only healthy foods. Wow. So if you're like a lunatic that goes and just wants, i got to have organic you know, whatever. But that's called orthorexia nervosa. And when people are like, they have to have healthy food and have to have organic, that's what it's called. Well, speaking of McDonald's. Yes. <laughs> you know, McDonald's is known for its golden arches, right? You walk yes. by every McDonald's. The, the famous golden arches logo of McDonald's was created by Jim Schindler in 1962. The logo was inspired by the new arch-shaped signs on the sides of the restaurants. So if you remember pictures of the old McDonald's restaurants, one of the original restaurants, you'd see the arch-shaped signs on the sides of the buildings. Mm -hmm. And by merging the two golden arch-shaped signs together, the famous M was formed. Mm. The M is apparently a customized design and not available as a font. Because as I was driving around, I was wondering, well, what font is that? So it wasn't originally a font, but now it is. It was created to imitate that M style. The font is called McLawsuit. McLawsuit. <laughs> Double, triple check this because, okay, someone's pulling my leg. So the actual font 
that was created. This double arches is called the McLawsuit, which was designed by Jesse Bergheimer. What do you call that thing when people raise money for people online? What is it a GoFundMe? I'd like to start a GoFundMe page to get a life for Nick, who drives around <laughs> wondering about the font of a McDonald's sign. <laughs> you know what? You can just go fund yourself. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, listen. I got one more in the food category. Mm-hmm. The 57 on the Heinz ketchup bottle. Yeah. What does it mean? There are 57 different kinds of uh, ketchup flavors. No. Actually, it has nothing to do with the ketchup flavors. It was pickles. Heinz had 57 different varieties. That's why it says 57 varieties. It had 57 different varieties of pickles. Little baby gherkins, dill pickles, blah, 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 blah. 57 different varieties. So when they finally made ketchup, it became, they put that as 57 varieties. That became like a big deal. So that's where that comes from. Yeah, so 57 different varieties of pickles to go along with your pig's ass and cheese sandwich. The kitchen is now closed. Join us next time on the Totally Useless Information Podcast for more sweet and savory morsels of useless food information. See you real soon! You're listening to the Totally Useless Information Podcast. Look what I see over there. I'm like a tiger. (laughs) Yes, you are. I'm like a camel. Here's my teaser. A camel's backbone is just as straight as a horse's backbone. So if you line them up side by side, they'll be exactly the same, just as straight as the horse. So what's the hump? Where's the hump? He's out back. (laughs) no really the hump is not part of its spine no it's not it's not but its spine is just as straight as the horse's uh backbone okay cool interesting the humps are extra yeah yeah well you know the baby elephant sucks its trunk the same way a human baby sucks on a pacifier so it wow. sticks its trunk in its mouth and sucks its trunk. Elephants are cool. They do all kinds of cool, crazy stuff, you know? They do. They are. Cats can be sadistic. Have you ever owned a cat? I have owned a few cats. I have actually had, in my lifetime, about three. The last cat I had was a psychotic feral cat that my wife forced me into getting from the shelter. And we had to give back because it was climbing the screen lanai like a maniac trying to get out. So everyone who owns a cat has stories just like you have stories about their cat catching a small hapless creature like a mouse and then torturing it mercilessly before allowing it to die. Some people may think that the cat is just practicing or perhaps trying to sharpen its skills. But no, animal behavioral experts increasingly believe that cats are doing this entirely out of enjoyment. They love to torture the mouse mercilessly until it dies. However, it's hard to say if the cat truly understands that the other creature is suffering. So the cats are devious. They're sick bastards is what they are. That yeah. cat ripped my whole leg up. And he was he was happy. He saw it in his face. He loved it. Little bastard. 
That's okay. I got back at him. I brought him back to the shelter. Oh, to all you animal people, please do not write in now. <laughs> here is a very nice thing. I have all cutesy things here. Prairie dogs say hello to each other by kissing each other. Oh. Okay, now, can you imagine that? That's how they say hello to each other? I mean, what what, what is like small talk to them? Second base? <laughs> yes, it is. Rock lizards, rock lizards. Now you've seen these in the zoo or maybe out in the wild. They do push-ups. Or maybe here in Florida all over the place. <laughs> well, if you take a look, they do push-ups or head bobbing yes. as a display of strength. This may have two functions. One is to Im intimidate the intruder, and the other is to attract members of the opposite sex. Yes. So, so the fact is when these lizards are kept in captivity in zoos, they might start doing these push-ups when it feels the visitors are intruding its space. So it does it to like intimidate people, but at the same time, it's like, hey, baby, look at what I can yeah. do for you. If you watch one of them, because we have them down here all over, these little lizards, and you'll see some of them have that little thing under their neck. Looks like a yeah. colorful little flap. And they start doing these crazy push-ups, but they do a lot of them. So it's impressive even to me. I'm like, I can only do like three or four before I have a cardiac arrest. This son of a gun, check him out. He's like, check this out. Look ah! And of course, <laughs> of course, a girl's going to find that sexual because she's like, wait, all I have to do is slip underneath him. <laughs> <laughs> Two more. Yeah. One more. A clownfish and all clownfish are born male. Oh, yes. Some turn into a female in order to enabling mating. So they're all born male, and then some turn into females to enable mating. It sounds like a, a human males in Greenwich Village. Some turn into females in New Year's Eve for the big parade. <laughs> so, they, so they're born male, but they turn into a female. Can they turn back? No, they can never turn back. They can't get the makeup off. <laughs> so you got one more for me? I actually do. Male ring-tailed lemurs, okay? Male oh. ring-tailed lemurs fight with each other. Well, that's not very interesting. But no. what, what they choose in battle is, it's called a lemur stink fight. Yes, they warfed farts at themselves in an attempt to frighten the other. So they sit there and they're like, oh, you want to do this? You, you want to do this? How's about that? And the other one goes, ah, you ain't nothing. What animal is this again? Ringtail lima. Now this goes on until one of them give up. You know what, though? I could just hear it now. You fart at me? Huh? You fart at me? Yeah. You fart at me? Animal. Animal. If I look over here, I have a couple of uh, bills I got to pay. And I look over there, and I see, oh, someone has written a letter. What's in the mailbag today? Who sent the letter anyway? What's in the mailbag? What's in the On the Totally Useless Information podcast, tui podcast at outlook.com, 
is our email address. And Bob Reed from Toronto, actually, I know Bob Reed. Bob Reed actually helped us out at the November 11th special that we did way back in November. And if you want to check it out, go check out where you see the podcasts. And uh, Bob Reed helped us out there. But Bob Reed asked me to find out about radio station call letters. Now, the call letters are, you know, the radio stations, what they identify themselves as is like WABC or uh, KFI or things like that. In the days, the early days of the telegraph, this is how call letters came to be. Operators started the practice of using short letter sequences as identifiers for these stations, referring to them as call letters or call signs. The early radio operators continued the practice, but without a central authority assigning the call letters, so it got pretty, pretty confusing because... The radio operators will often choose letters already in use. Well, here comes the federal government. They came in and they began licensing commercial radio stations. And soon after, it had planned to assign call letters to the land-based stations. Stations east of the Mississippi, for the most part, got the letter W in front of it, like WABC or WNBC when they were around. Stations west of the Mississippi got the letter K, like KFI in Los Angeles. As for the rest of the call signs, there are some pretty interesting ones. You've heard of WGN in Chicago. WGN stands for World's Greatest Newspaper because it was considered the Chicago Tribune's radio station. But there's nothing that beats the St. Louis sports radio station. Crap. K-R-A-P. Okay? They call themselves crap since 2014. Our signal is crap. Our studios are crap. Even our staff is crap, K-R-A-P. So there you go. So some call letters to help you know, identify. Nick, you know, I have a, a shortwave radio license. Oh. Until this day, I, I have it since I'm like 16 years old. Till this day, I can remember it's KPK 7854. Those are my call letters. Pretty, pretty cool. I have a mailbag, and it is Doreen from the Bronx, New York. A road stopping grounds. Yes, yes. And Doreen thinks our show is amazing. Clearly, Doreen doesn't get out much. She also thinks that we're cute, which says a lot about her vision. Um, she asked about Nostradamus. She writes in her thing about how much she loves the show. And she says, listen, do you guys like Nostradamus and Rasputin, their predictions and so on? And what do we think about that type of stuff? I said, you know what, let me look into a few things here, and I have this for you, Doreen. If Rasputin was so good at telling the future, he would have seen this coming. First, his assassins poisoned him. Then, when he didn't die, they shot him multiple times. Nope, didn't kill him. So they stabbed him, rolled him around, stabbed him again multiple times. Finally, after he didn't die, they bagged him up in a burlap sack with stones in it and threw him into the Volga River and drowned him. That seemed to do it. <laughs> now, <laughs> if at first you don't succeed. Now, if you are a clairvoyant person and you can't see that coming, you are not a soothsayer, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, so Doreen... Thank you for the email. We really do appreciate it. And do us, do me and Nick a big favor and get yourself some glasses and then take another look at us. <laughs> What's in the mailbag? What's in the mail? 
Totally Useless Information Podcast. I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. And, uh, you know, I mean, just think about what we spoke about like 15 minutes ago was like history. It was. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man. What happens tomorrow is history. Here's another shot, Anderson, right in. He scores! Anderson! What happens the day after that is history. A swing and a belt. Left field, way back. Blue Jays win it. I guess every day is uh, history. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to tell you my history about the NBC Chimes. This way we keep people in suspense. In 1926, Arctic explorer Peter Fushin was trapped under an avalanche in Antarctica while exploring. He escaped death, lived, lived on, by fashioning a shiv out of his own frozen feces. Yes, not only did he fasten the shiv to use to dig, but he managed to figure out how to sharpen it to amputate his own foot by using his shizer. He he used this poop as a saw to saw his... What the hell did he eat? Like steel oats, uh, steel oatmeal is the night before. <laughs> Razor blades. What the? What does this man eat? Nails? <laughs> no, but he 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 shivved the, he saw the shiv out of it. <laughs> the first modern novel is Spanish. The fun fact about Spain is that the first modern novel, the book translated into more languages after the Bible, that is. And the one that holds the title of the best book in history was written by the Spaniard Miguel de Cervantes. It's Don Quixote, written in 1605. How cool is that? Well, thank you, Spanish people. The French can't seem to get anything going right. Muchos gracios. So anyway, the Leaning Tower of Pisa was kind of like the uh, camel's vertebrae. It was straight. It never leaned. The building was meant to be straight, and it began tilting by the building of the second floor. Now, so they knew it was tilting, but who the hell knows what went through their minds? They, they stop and say, Luigi, oh, look at the building. It's tilted. No. They turned around. And they said, Luigi, look at the building. And he said, that son of a bitch, he's not going to pay us any more money. We built it like that. Uh, you know, it's amazing how we grabbed the audio from when they were building the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Yes, it is. Now, let's stay in Italy. How did the Colosseum in Rome get its name? Because the a... guy walked up and he said, oh, Luigi, oh, look at this it. place. <laughs> it was originally known as the Flavian Amphitheater, and it was constructed during the Flavian Dynasty. That's why they call it the Flavian Amphitheater. Residents of Rome nicknamed it Colosseo. This was because it was built next to a 164-foot statue of Emperor Nero, known as the Colossus of Nero. That's how the Colosseum got its name. He said, hey, Luigi, how you say Flavio Tira? He goes, how you say That's the what we call it, the Colosseum. Okay, before the alarm clock was invented, 
there were people called knocker ups. Yes, I know knockers. Sounds funny to us because me and Nick are like two 12 year olds. He said knockers. <laughs> they, were, they were called knocker ups. These were people that were paid, they were hired to go to the house at a specific time, let's say six o'clock in the morning. And shoot peas through a straw at the bedroom windows of the occupants that wanted to be woken up. Not to wake, I guess, the rest of the people in the house by just banging on the door. No, no. They shot peas through straws, and they were called knocker-ups in England. Maybe they were just peons. <laughs> so, uh, a little bit of my history. I, years ago, worked at NBC, the NBC radio network at 30 Rockefeller Plaza when I lived in New York. One of the uh, best times of my life. So... This uh, bit of history comes from the, where, the history of the NBC Chimes. Now, you, you're familiar with the NBC Chimes. The story of the NBC Chimes began in 1926. That was the year that Radio Corporation of America, RCA, purchased the Broadcasting Company of America from AT&T, and they renamed it the National Broadcasting Company. National Broadcasting Company is what NBC stands for. The initial broadcast was made on the evening of November 15, 1926, and this is the beginning of what was to become the NBC radio network. In its early months of operation, the NBC announcers would read a list of the stations carrying each program, the affiliates, at the end of each particular program. As the network grew, this practice became cumbersome and time-consuming, and the identification responsibility was shifted to the stations themselves. So some signal had to be given to mark the end of the program, but because the announcers at the station would now need a cue, they would need to know when to go to their break to, to give their identifications, the NBC chimes were born. So at the end of the program, they would signal all the stations to identify themselves after playing this. You're listening to the Totally Useless Information Podcast. That's right, exactly. Now, what's interesting about those, why those particular notes? Well, General Electric eventually bought out RCA, but General Electric was a part of the NBC history without getting into it too much. But the musical notes are G, E, C, General Electric Corporation. Isn't that cool? Cool. Now, another cool thing before we go here on the Totally Useless Information Podcast. Right before I left NBC, uh, the NBC, NBC decided to sell away its radio division. So Don Pardo visited our studios, and I had heard that he was recording some phone messages. This is when we used to have phone machines at home. Don Pardo was the voice of Saturday Night Live, if you remember. Live from New York, it's Saturday Night Live. And so he was also a station announcer for the NBC radio. He network. was all over the place. You heard his voice all over. And so when you hear his voice here, you'll, un you'll recognize it because Don Pardo sat in a studio, and this is what he recorded for me in 1988. Hi. I guess you want to talk to Nick, huh? Well, he's not available right now. This is Don Pardo asking you to hang in there and at the dial of the tone, leave a message. Maybe he is here. I don't know. He doesn't tell me everything. I remember calling your house and getting that on your answer machine. You know what it is, though? People would call just to hear that tape message and not leave a message for me. Right, <laughs> which is probably what I did. It was probably me doing it the whole time. I have one more, Nick. Okay. I have one more, and this is pretty interesting. Ronald Reagan 
was a prolific swimmer and lifeguard. In fact, when he was a very young man, 17, 18, 19 years old, he saved more than 77 people from drowning. Now, that's amazing. He saved 77. Okay, it was out of about 500, but he saved 77. <laughs> no, but for the real, the real, the truth is he, he was noted for saving 77 people while working as a lifeguard. Well, good for him. And he went up to them and he went, well. I guess every day is a history. Guys, this show flies, and that's all the time we have for this episode of the Totally Useless Information Podcast. And we'll have more for you next time. So in the meantime, you got to get on. We're back on YouTube stronger than ever. Subscribe on YouTube, and do us a favor when you get a Facebook of this friend, you know, send it to all your friends. Pass it along. It's all really good. Thanks for listening, and tell a friend about the trend. I am Nick. And I'm Roy. Thanks for listening.